Today we will be in Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. And we're actually going to be looking at Uh, verses 18 through 20, and we'll kind of uh, summer, I'll reference back to the other verses here, but Mark chapter 5, and uh, we'll also look at Romans and 2 Corinthians as well. It says, And when he had got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you, and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him. Let me take this off. Let's pray. God in heaven, today as we... Uh, Look at this passage and what it means for us today. We ask and pray, God, for the guidance of your Holy Spirit to understand um, what your message is for us today. And I pray that these would be your words and not mine. Uh, You know what's on our hearts and in our minds. Help us to bring those things to you today, to lead them, God, at the foot of your throne, at the foot of the cross. And to hear your message for us today. May we see Jesus. May we be uplifted and encouraged. May sin be rebuked and called by its name and forsaken. And we ask God that your Holy Spirit will be present in this place. In Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Um, I read a few weeks ago an interesting story that caught my attention about missionaries from Brazil. Um, It's in this uh, magazine, Missionary 360, and it's a story of a a young missionary family, uh, a man named Delmar and his wife Nati and their three-year-old daughter Clara were called to the mission field from Brazil, and they went, they were very excited, they went to uh, Europe, and they went to the country of Albania. And they were very excited to work in the church there and do mission work. And uh, what's interesting about Albania is that it used to be a communist country, and it was the world's first and only atheist country, officially by the government. So you can imagine that kind of background there in the country of Albania. Well, communism fell in 1990, and so uh, during the communist regime there in Albania, religion was forbidden. But after the fall of communism, they allowed uh, religion, and and churches did come in, and uh, Delmar and Nadi, they came to minister in Albania, but they found it to be a very difficult place uh, to do ministry. After one year of being there, they found that nobody was interested in baptism. After one year of being there, um, giving their heart to the work, not even one person was so much as interested in doing a Bible study. So they became very discouraged. They actually got a call to go back to Brazil to pastor a church. Delmar is a pastor. They thought about taking the position. They said, We're not, nothing's happening here. There's no fruit. And so they were thinking about going back. And uh, then they decided that they would stay. 
and they would continue with the mission work there. And so they noticed that in their neighborhood, there was a lot of children. So they thought this might be an avenue to get people in, uh, uh, to minister to people. So they set up a, a net for volleyball and they invited the children in their neighborhood to play, to play volleyball. So they started doing this. And then it, all the kids in the neighborhood started uh, uh, acknowledging Delmar as a pastor. They knew what he did. And some of them started to come to church. And so about the same time, there was a church member there at the Adventist Church. Uh, there in the city was Course, Course, Albania. Uh, and this young lady, her name was Angela. She was bringing a friend named Fajan to church. And every now and then he would come, you know, uh, once a month or something like that. But, of course, didn't study the Bible, wasn't interested in baptism, until he got plugged in to this uh, youth ministry. And they invited him to play volleyball with the kids, and he loved it. He started coming to church more. And he, and he as the more he got to involved in this youth ministry he got to know Delmar and he and Delmar Fajan and Delmar became friends then Delmar started talking to him about God and they started doing bible studies together and so uh Fajan uh eventually he got baptized and he says that he really enjoyed this uh this ministry to the young people in the community. And he wanted to be a part of this ministry. And he was hoping that others would follow Jesus Christ as well. And so uh, towards the end of this article, the wife, um, Nati, she says that when you try something new and you see it as working, it gives you hope. This motivated us to try different things. She says, things are changing in course and not just at the church. When we were called to come as missionaries, I thought I was ready to change the world, she says. Delmar says, but it took maybe one year to realize that before I did anything, the Lord was trying to change me. Wow. Now, let me ask you a question. Are these, uh, are these pew warmers? Are these people who just come to church? and No, no. Were these people on fire for Jesus and for mission? Yes. yes, they were. But isn't it amazing that it took him probably a few years to realize even under those circumstances that they still needed God to change their hearts. Isn't that amazing? You know, it, it's, it's easy to look at someone like the man in our story who was demon-possessed, and say, wow, he needs a change, doesn't it? It's easy. Or a drunkard or some other stereotype bad person and say, wow, they need, they need a, a, to be created anew by God. But this story teaches us that whether we are on the front lines of the mission field or possessed by a demon, we all need to be more like Jesus Christ, don't we? We all need that, that change. We all need to become more like the Savior. And the transformation God wants to do in us, it really takes a lifetime. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, some of you know this, I'm sure, by heart. Paul says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be 
transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God desires to do something amazing in all of us. And I want to ask the question today to us as Seventh-day Adventists, how does our doctrine contribute to people's lives being changed? How does worship service contribute to lives being transformed? How does our fellowship together in all that we do help people become a new creation? Everything we teach and believe as a church, all of our doctrine and Bible truth should bring us and others into the presence of Jesus Christ for transformation. The Bible tells us that we are to look to our glorious God alone who can transform. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, uh, Paul tells us the first important element of transformation. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, I'm sure some of you know this one by heart as well too. It says, Paul says, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed, that's that word again, into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So as we come into the presence of God, we behold our Savior, we behold Jesus, what is naturally going to happen to us? We will become more like Him. Now, What was the very first step for this man in our story back in chapter 5? For him to experience this dramatic change. In the story, uh, the background, what I did not read here, is that Jesus and his disciples, they came across the Sea of Galilee to the southeastern part of the Sea of Galilee. And as they were getting off of the boat... Uh, almost immediately, this crazy, demonic-possessed man met Jesus and the disciples. And this man came. The Bible says he worshipped. He came to worship him. And he fell at the feet of Jesus. And then so Jesus actually begins having this dialogue with this demon-possessed man. And he he tells the demon possessed the demons to come out and then the demons say to him please do not send us away don't send us out into the country do not torment us why have you come here and so jesus asks what your name is he says what is your name and he says that my name is legion for we are many and so the demons actually request of jesus that they be cast out into a herd of nearby pigs or swine. And so Jesus allows the demons, these many demons, as they're being cast out of this man, to go into the swine. And as the, the demons possess the swine, the swine run off of a cliff and they go into the Sea of Galilee and they are drowned and killed. And the swine herders, the people who are keep keeping the swine, they see everything that happens. And they don't want to be responsible for this great loss. You, you know somebody's losing uh, a profit from this. 
I think one account says there was, there was, there was many swine, um, somewhere around 2,000, lots of swine. So the swine herders, they see what's happening. They go into the country, they go into the town, and they tell people what has happened. And so the people come back from the town, from the surrounding country, and they, they look around, they see the swine are gone. This, this demon-possessed man is sitting at the feet of Jesus. He's clothed and in his right mind. And they're shocked and they're amazed at what they see. And so thinking about their swine, their loss, they actually ask Jesus to leave. And so Jesus leaves. And this is where we pick up our story. But the first step for this man to be healed and to experience this change was for him to come to Jesus Christ. Was just to throw himself at the foot of G at the feet of Jesus Christ. And you know, I sometimes in my Bible studies over the years, I can't tell you how many people have uh, told me, especially when we start talking about baptism or something, they say, Pastor, um, I'm just not ready. I'm, I'm just not ready. I say, okay, well, well, you know, what is the problem? And a lot of times they just say, I'm just not good enough. And, and, and they say, I'm just, I, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not good enough to be a Christian. I, I don't think I'm ready because I have to change this or I have to change that. And that is the wrong mentality. We need to come to Christ just as we are, don't we? We need to come to Christ just as we are. We come to Jesus Christ. And He, as we, as we come to His feet in worship and surrender, He is the one who transforms us. And we should be leading people into this transformational process. When we share our faith, the goal should never be transactional. Okay? What do I mean by that? Well, I'll be your friend if you participate in my religion. That's transactional. Instead, we should share our faith in such a way that it leads people to Jesus and into a renovation of the heart, a makeover, you might say, of the heart and mind because they have come into the presence of Christ. That should be the number one goal. And everything else will come. Church and, and Bible, you know, Bible study and all these things, uh, community service and getting involved. Once they have come into the presence of Christ. I like what uh, John Boston says. He is, uh, does research for um, one of our Adventist organizations, North American Division of Evangelism Institute. He says, when you think about Bible studies as a way to get people into the church, then you have missed the purpose of Bible studies. When you see the Bible studies as a way to connect the heart of God to the community, then you will have more success. Approach Bible studies as a way for God to transform people's lives. Now, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Please don't misunderstand. We need to invite people to church, don't we? We need to invite them into our Bible studies. 
We, we, we should be asking them to make appeals. This is very important. Hebrews tells us not to forsake the gathering of, of, of each other. This is very important. But there's a fine line, again, where it becomes a transactional type of thing. And that's not what we want. We want transformation. Here's the thought. If someone doesn't want to do a Bible study, I hear sometimes, you know, uh, people, well, they don't want to come to church or they don't want to do a Bible study. So we just kind of give up on people, you know. Well, they're not going to participate in this. And so we kind of give up on people. But maybe they will have lunch with you instead. Maybe they'll take an invitation to lunch instead. If someone does not want to come to church, maybe they would like to join you for something else instead. And as they see Christ in you, as they are brought into contact with God through you, they will begin to let down their guards and the bridges will start to be built. Coming to Christ is the first step. We see this in our story, but it's not the only one. You would see, in order for the new creation to come, we have to give something up. In the story here, it says that when Jesus cast the demons out, that the demons were cast into the pigs. And the pigs, they ran over the cliff. When I went to visit Israel, um, we, were on, we had an opportunity to go on the Sea of Galilee, and I could see from a distance where they believe the story actually happened. On the southeast part of the Sea of Galilee, there is a cliff. And you could see very clearly anything that jumped off of there and into the water. Um, it's, you know, it was, it was going to die. You know, if, 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 if it didn't, then uh, it was a miracle. So... It was believed in Jesus' days, many believed that water was fatal to demons. Now, the Bible doesn't teach this, but the superstitious people of the day, many of them believed this. So if the demons who went into the swine, if they ran into the Sea of, of Galilee and they were drowned then they could be sure that the demons were gone. This is what the the thinking of the people of the day was. You see, this was important for this man to see his demons going over the cliff and into the water, which some of them thought was fatal, and that those demons were gone. Because in in a few moments or a few hours, however long he sat at the feet of of Jesus, Jesus was going to get on a boat and with his disciples and go back across the sea. And that man was going to have to go right back through the tombs that he came out of to get to the cities and the towns where Jesus was sending him. So, so they believed also in this day, this is where demons hung out, was in the tombs and these, these kind of places. That's why he was there. So he would have to walk right back through that place where people believed that the demons were. But after seeing them in those swine, going off the edge and and being killed in the water, he would have known his demons were gone. And it would have given him confidence to go back into those cities and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
But you see, true spiritual change happens only when we believe in God's power to do so. If we have a problem or a habit or a sin that we think God has no interest or power to change, then we will stay stuck in that for as long as we disbelieve. God wants to drown our demons into the bottom of the sea, doesn't he? He wants to drown them into the bottom of the sea. He wants us to have the victory of overcoming and be confident like this man was, that Jesus can overcome sin or temptation, whatever demons, the problems that are in our lives, the things that that the enemy tries to bring like a flood against us. God wants to give us confidence. And only Jesus can bring that complete transformation. Humanism, you know, humanistic efforts... Are not going to, science is not going to solve the problem. All these other things that people look to, money or, or power, position, only God can bring that into our lives. True transformation, getting rid of the demons. But we also see in a very, another important lesson by these swine going off the edge of the cliff. And I think people often miss this because they're, they question, you know, why did Jesus have to, those poor old pigs, you know, and these people are losing. Well, obviously there's somebody, it's a loss here. But it teaches us something very important that we should not miss. That in order for real deep spiritual change to happen in our lives, that something has to die. Something that we hold valuable has to die. Now, these pigs were unclean. If they were Jews, they shouldn't have been, you know, uh, hurting them anyway. They're probably Gentiles. Probably Gentiles. But they were unclean, you know. But there's somebody had a, a big loss here. And herein lies one of the most difficult things about change, true life-altering transformation. And that is, if you and I are to become more like the Savior, to be renewed regularly, something in us has to die. Something must die in order for this transformation to take place. To putting to death cherished sins, putting to death pride, Selfishness, putting to death our own desires and hopes is too costly for some people. It's too costly. Dare I say at times, even for Christians, it's too costly for some people. In this story, we see the high, high cost of being a real disciple of Christ. And we can see in the Gospels this theme time and time again. Even Jesus was trying to prepare his disciples. Look, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. But Jesus, for him, it wasn't just words. He gave us the ultimate example of what that actually means. And for all eternity... For all eternity, we'll be studying the cross to try to understand 
this sacrifice in Jesus dying to self to save the human race. John chapter 12, 24 and 25, Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternity. There's a high cost to becoming a new creation in Christ. I like what uh, Ellen White says here in Desire of Ages 338. She says, It was in mercy to the owners of the swine that this loss had been permitted to come upon them. They were absorbed in earthly things and cared not for the great interests of spiritual life. Jesus desired to break the spell of selfish indifference that they might accept his grace. But regret and indignation for their temporal loss blinded their eyes to the Savior's mercy. Isn't that a shame? I love this first sentence she says here. I never thought about it this way. It was in mercy to the owners of the swine that this loss had been permitted to come upon them. It was to wake them up to their indifference. It was to wake them up to spiritual things, to get their attention off of of the earthly which they had been absorbed in and and to, to turn their eyes to Jesus Christ. This It was in mercy God sent those swine over the edge. But they were not taking the bait. They were not coming to Jesus as this demon-possessed man did. They, had, they were too, uh, too proud or they were too worried about their earthly possessions. But Jesus had a plan even for that, didn't he? We don't have time to get into it, but as you read on in the Gospels, we see that later on, When Jesus came back to this area, when Jesus came back to the same place, that instead of people coming and asking Jesus to leave, they came bringing the sick. They came to listen to Jesus Christ. And why did they come back with a different attitude? Because he sent this man who had been transformed by the power of the gospel to go and proclaim what the Lord had done for him. It was the most powerful thing that that could have happened to testify to the power of God. You you would have think, well, Jesus, you need to stay here and and preach a little while. That that would have been wonderful, wouldn't it have? But Jesus said, I already have a sermon. I just want you to go in and I want you to tell others what God has done for you. Now think about it, at best, this possessed man had sat at the feet of Jesus for maybe a couple of hours at best. He didn't have the privilege that the other disciples had to travel with him day after day and hear all of his words and teachings. All he had armed with us was the transformation that God had wrought in his life. A demon-possessed man under the prison of Satan. And now he was a disciple of Jesus. And one of the most effective 
evangelist we read about in the New Testament, at least in the Gospels. It's amazing. You know, this man probably, excuse me, but he stank all to high heaven. You know, he had scars, his hair was matted, uh, you know, he's dirty. Um, Hopefully he went and took a shower before he went back and talked, but we don't know. But, and you can imagine the reputation he had. He terrorized the entire region. But God says, you're my disciple. You've been changed by the gospel, and I want you to go. No formal learning. Didn't sit at Jesus' feet day after day. He just said, I just want you to tell people what God has done for you. Is that difficult? Do you need a lot of high education? Of course not. Of course not. God wants us to bear our testimonies as well. And this is often the most powerful thing that a person can do. Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. Tell others. As a demon-possessed man told them and showed them what God had done for them, then they would have understood what God could do for them. People could criticize what Jesus did in destroying the herd of swine, but they could not deny the change that came over this demon-possessed man. One of the greatest evidences of the power of God, the love of God, the gospel is the evidence of a changed life, a changed heart, changed behavior, changed attitudes and habits. What a powerful testimony. Now, on the outside, we may not all be as dramatically changed as this demon-possessed man. I mean, this was quite dramatic. It's a big deal. Everybody would have known about it, obviously because of the response of the people that came later on. But I believe that sometimes it's the little changes sometimes in our life that sometimes mean the most, isn't it? Little words, little habits, little things in our life that we can change. They're like bricks in a wall that you're, or, or a house that we are building. And, you know, sometimes it's slow to recognize because that's sometimes how change happens. It's slow. But it's those little things sometimes that can mean the most. And before you know it, you have a new creation in Jesus Christ. A new creation in Jesus Christ. I'd like to end with this story. Um, again, about Pastor John Boston and his testimony. And he shares that uh, his mother, um, who is Anglo, who is white, she was uh, assaulted uh, by an African-American man. She was sexually assaulted by an African-American man. And as a result of this assault, he was born. John Boston was born. His mother did not want to have anything to do with him. And so she gave him up for adoption and wanted nothing to do with him. 38 years later, Boston 
wanted to know about his mother. Something was missing. Even though he grew up in a good Christian home, there's just still this piece missing. He had this, this uh, desire to, to know, you know, why, why, why give me up? And, and he, the, he had self-confidence issues and, and all these questions. And so he went to reach out to his mother. And when he found her in Florida, uh, as a southern woman, to, chewing tobacco, uh, and, and she was just a completely, her whole lifestyle was completely different than his, okay? They're just two different worlds apart, okay? And he got in touch with her and her son and her niece. And he told her who she was, who he was and what, what he did and, and how he wanted to uh, just to reach out and befriend her. He wasn't angry or upset, he began forming a relationship with his estranged biological mother. And he says that uh, eventually she came uh, to meet him at his house and uh, so they could become better acquainted, and they did. And she came over, you know, uh, again with these completely different worldviews. She came in smoking a cigarette. He didn't say, hey, you get that thing out of here. He said, I have a place for you in my backyard. And when you're ready, you can go out there and then come back in and, and, and uh, you know, uh, we'll, we'll continue our, our fellowship. And so what he did was he actually became very vulnerable with his biological mother and, and her son, his half-brother, and shared his struggles. He shared his testimony with her. He shared all of these different things that maybe he wouldn't normally share with other people. And would you believe it that just after four months of them uh, coming together, that she became a Seventh-day, a baptized Seventh-day Adventist Christian? And he credited just sharing his testimony and vulnerability with her. And this helped to, this is what led her to Christ Jesus. Today we ask the question, how is the gospel of Jesus Christ transforming our families? What testimony do we have? How is it changing our marriages? How is the gospel changing, transforming our parenting, our neighborhood? Effective Christian living must begin at home, where people know us best, doesn't it? If we honor God in our homes, then we can effectively witness elsewhere as, as well. Today I want to challenge, this, this text challenges us, and I want to challenge us to ask God to mold you more, even more into his image. What, what do we need to do to soak in the presence of the Savior? As it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. By faith, do something radically different to invite the God's power in your life to transform you even more into his image. And as a result, others will be transformed by the gospel as well. May God bless you and happy Sabbath. Let's pray. God in heaven, today we thank you for what you're doing in our lives.
in our church, in our, in our community, God. We just ask and pray again for the transforming power of Jesus upon our church and in our homes. Today we ask for your blessing as we dismiss today. Please keep us safe uh, on our way home, and we ask your blessing upon the rest of this Sabbath day. In Jesus' name, amen.